0: See everybody here, and uh, <clears throat> I'm sitting down. Not because I'm lazy, but I am lazy. <laughs> I'm sitting down uh, primarily because I have sore feet, so which are getting better. So maybe we'll be back to standing up. Uh, so thanks for your patience with that. And uh, I want to introduce a visitor we have with us this morning, uh, Rich Castillo. He's back here. Uh, you, you, you can stand or stand raise your hand there. There you go. He saluted us. All right, we salute you too. Glad to glad you're here. And I was stationed with him at McClellan in um, uh, the nineteen seventies. Uh, oh yes. And I knew his mom and dad. Oh. And also my well, was... She said she knew your mom and dad and maybe sister. Okay, brothers. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, Everybody should have a handout. It's a. uh, It's not color. It's this. It's the same handout we used last time, so it looks like this. Everybody got a handout. Okay, the handout is there in the back on the table. So we've got a gentleman needs one. Okay. I think it's good if you take the sec take the time to get the handout because it's just too much. It's too much to follow. And you will absorb a lot more of it if um, if you have the handout to go by. Now they're all front page. Cindy usually does them front to back, front to back, but I did it because she's been ill and uh to help and, she, and so it's just uh one, two, three, four. Good. <laughs> Okay. did Did you need one, sir? Okay, we need one more for the front. Anybody else need one? Okay, great. so welcome to everybody we We also have people uh online that are uh, watching us. I've had comments from several people um, gracious comments. <laughs> I have a great face for radio, as my friend used to say <laughs> better uh, heard than seen and uh, um, so we're glad glad everybody is with us welcome Uh, welcome to uh, uh, those visiting rich glad to have you and uh, so you should have the handout today we're looking at Colossians 2 and this handout because covers a lot of stuff that we already covered and I do that so that you can say "No, what did he say about that? I don't have all the detail but I do have the framework and the outline and we'll go through that real quickly and um, there, if you look at the very top of it, we, we're in Colossians 2, if you want to turn to Colossians 2, I'm going to have some of you read uh, because uh, I am hoarse and I want to make it through the whole uh, class and we're on a section called Paul's warning against heresy and there are four different warnings in this passage one's false philosophy verses 8 through 15 legalism 16 and 17 angel worship 18 and 19 and asceticism uh, which is verses 20 through 23 We have spent a lot of time in false philosophy because there's a tremendous amount of detail there uh, that um, there's a tremendous amount of detail here. And uh, uh, in verses 8 through 15 and doctrine as well. So we are going to try to get to legalism, I hope to. And uh, that's verses 16 and 17. And those three, legalism, angel worship, and asceticism are much more simple. They don't go into a lot of doctrine. They just go into the warning against it. So... Also, there are uh, three statements. Look at the bottom. Three things Christ has done for us that substantiate his sufficiency and that we are complete in him, verses 11 through 15. And We talked about spiritual circumcision and forgiveness of sins. We're going to review forgiveness of sins. Victory over the forces of evil. That's what I hope to center on today, verse 15. We looked at it last week and... Uh, briefly then uh, that kind of refreshes where we're at and let's have a word of prayer Steve would you you mind leading us in in prayer and asking the Lord to be with us today and we have a lot of people in church I I think that are ill so let's pray for those as well. Gracious Lord and Father we're truly thankful to be in your house this morning Lord there's been a lot of illness going around a lot of people have been sick thank you for the ones that are here we pray for the ones that might still be sick Lord that you just lift them up Lord, we'll just pray for Matt Galvin today as he preaches to us, Lord, and through the week, as you help him, Lord, to bring forth the words you have him to, Lord, that it will change our heart through the power of the Spirit to be more like Christ. Through our brother this morning, Scotty, as he teaches us this lesson, Lord, we want to thank you for your son his love, his uh, sacrifice for us, Lord, on our cross. Amen. Lord, just thank you for our church and our country. Thank you for your love for this gospel of Christ. Amen. 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 So uh, should be at Colossians 2. If you haven't, go ahead and turn there, verses 8 through 23. And I believe uh, Chuck is going to read verses 8 through 11. And then Connie's going to read 12 through 15. So Chuck, go ahead. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Great. Connie. Twelve through fifteen. This is warning against philosophy. Okay, and then legalism, uh, verses 16 and 17. Uh, Steve. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink in respect to an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And then angel worship um, and... um, Really mysticism too. Verses uh, 18 and 19, Sheila. A nourishment, minister, and knit together it with the of God. Okay, and then verses 20 through 23, asceticism. Yeah. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh okay so thank you very much for reading and I wanted us to be well familiar with these passages Um, i did this 20 something years ago, and I thought, well, I'm going to go over it again because I'll be familiar with the material and some of the some of the finer points of the texts and so forth. But I have been truly, immensely blessed by this uh, study so far this year, in that the wonderful things, looking at the wonderful <laughs> things that the Lord Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And in the sense of working our redemption and making it possible for us. And what he, how uh, the part of Christ in his role in um, making our, our salvation possible. And not only that, but the fact that um, what uh, uh, the Bible calls the unsearchable riches of Christ... It's just almost, be, well it is, it's well beyond our comprehension. Uh, let's take the handout and kind of do a quick review. Uh, we looked at false philosophy and we have one more verse, verse 15, under four warnings. Then we're going to do legalism today and then in the future angel worship and asceticism verses 18, 19 and 20 through 23. Thanks to all who read those passages, thank you. And the first one was warning against philosophy. And as um, Chuck read, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. And that word spoil there is a word kidnap to take you off as a a, uh, um, uh, one who has been taken as like a pirate's treasure. And it's a a real graphic word of somebody who was kidnapped and taken off and um put into slavery or sold and uh it's the only use of the word that word and it's the only word use of the word philosophy there in vain deceit could be empty trickery or empty delusion the point is that next the um, paragraph there or the next sentence christ is the true test of theology And he's the absolute standard and measurement for all doctrine. If it's not in accordance with Christ and the revelation God has given to us regarding his son, then we must reject it. So the foundation of the warning is the supremacy and deity of Christ in verse 9. And then his sufficiency and humanity of Christ in verses 10 through 15. And F.F. Bruce said, Christ is all and all you need. I really like that because it sums it up. Uh, There are three affirming statements in verses 9 and 10, the full deity of Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, and the humanity of Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Christ is fully human and fully divine. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 14. And the sufficiency of Christ... I'm repeating this because these are such important points. And I hope that you have them ingrained in your, your, your brain. <laughs> the sufficiency of Christ, uh, also uh, verse 10, uh, refers to the fact that we're complete or full in him who is the head of all principality and power. So we are complete and him. That's that word pleroma, which was a word that the Gnostics used, the people that were stirring up false teaching and heresy and apostasy. They used that word, you need the fullness, you need the pleroma. And Paul says, you have the fullness in Christ. You don't need anything, He's he alone. So the next sentence there, we are made full or complete as we share in His fullness, because it says He's the fullness. For it pleased Him that in for it pleased the Father, Colossians one nineteen, that in Him should all the fullness dwell. So that's that same word pleroma, and you'll see that over and over and over again. Um, so. Christ's all-sufficiency is shown by the statement that he is the head of all principality and power. He's head of everything. He is over everything, and we're complete in him because he is complete. So three things that Christ has done for us that substantiate his sufficiency and that we are complete in him— I referred to this earlier in the introduction, spiritual circumcision, uh, forgiveness of sins, victory over the forces of evil, which is we're going to look at in verse 14. We're going to review forgiveness of sins. So spiritual circumcision is the circumcision made without hands. And that's a spiritual term that Paul used to show that the cleansing of sin comes by faith from God, in God, and it is essentially talking about the new birth, salvation. Look at the top of page two. And putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's another term there. So we now have a new nature, the last sentence in that paragraph C, and we now have a new nature, a new creation. In Christ, we are now able to serve him. We're not enslaved to sin through the old nature. Before, we did not have the capability to, to serve Christ until salvation. So we now have a new nature that allows us to serve Christ and live for Him. And then he goes on in, in verse uh, 12 and says that we're buried with Him in baptism and we're risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who raised Him from the dead. Baptism is an external... Sign of what Christ has done for us inwardly by salvation it's an ordinance in the Baptist church at, along with the Lord's Supper offering is not an ordinance <laughs> I didn't point to the offering plate I wanted to the communion table here so uh, giving is worship but it's not an ordinance baptism pictures the Christians death, burial and resurrection with Christ baptism does not save okay Forgiveness of sins. So this is the second thing Christ has done for us that demonstrates his sufficiency and our fullness in him or completeness in him. And verse uh, 13, And you being dead in uh, in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. And only through union with Christ can those that are hopelessly dead in their sins receive eternal life. That's a quote from MacArthur. We're dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh, and that means that we were dead. And the word and the word for sins in the Greek is trespass. It means to a falling beside, a false step. It indicates our failure to follow the path of righteousness that's ordained by God. We deviated from the the way of uprightness and truth. And uncircumcision here is another term for those that aren't saved. You see that used and it's referred to in Acts 7.51. So number C, right in the middle of page 2 you hath he quickened together with him. Paul emphatically states that they were made alive together with Christ at the time of their salvation, having forgiven you all your trespasses. And I love to point out that the word forgiven here in the Greek is the same root word for grace. And grace means to grant a favor or or kindness to forgive to give freely and to grant forgiveness or forgive freely so that helps us realize that divine grace is a foundational principle here for forgiveness forgiveness is based on divine grace God's grace to us forgiveness of guilty sinners who put their trust in Jesus Christ is the most important reality in scripture MacArthur, another MacArthur quote now uh, we talked a lot about blotting out and we talked about that song My Sins Are Blotted Out I Know and I'm on F on page 2 it means having blotted out means having cancelled it's the act by which forgiveness was completed and it meant that our sins were wiped out or wiped away um, and what what pointed out our sins well the handwriting of ordinances that was against us item G there which was contrary to us it was a hand wrote, written note or bond of indebtedness it was a signed confession of debt he cancelled the bond which stood against us Goodspeed's uh, translation or rendering of that so the references to the Mosaic law ordinances that was against us and that was contrary to us. If you look at that um, under note, under number three, just beyond that, the law justly stands in opposition to us. It accuses us. It declares us guilty before God. So what did the Lord do for that? Item H there. He took it out of the way, nailing it, to his cross. That's uh, 14c there. Paul says that God canceled the bond against us, the law, and he took it away and he nailed it to his cross. Now took it means that he has removed it permanently so its claims against us can never alienate us from God. When I'm saying us, I'm talking about those who have accepted Christ as their Savior and been saved. Uh, Vaughn, that, that's a quote from Vaughn. Phillips renders it, renders it, has completely annulled, and the same word in John 1 took it, is translated, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away. The sin of the world. I love that. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. Now, nailing, you turn over to page three. Nailing is how God removed that bond against us. And it reflects the permanence of the removal. And I I came up with the illustration of nailing a coffin. That's pretty That's pretty, uh, (laughs) pretty permanent. And uh, this is the only use of the word nailing in the New Testament. Now, what I've seen is every time Paul uses one of these words that he creates just for the specific, it's almost like he tools these words and the Holy Spirit helps him, sometimes to refute the heresy, he takes one of their words and takes it it back around and uses it for truth. Other times he uses a word from the secular realm, uh, just a regular world, and he takes those words and he uses it to, to graphically show us um, what God has done. Every time he tools one of those words, it's usually someplace very important to understand a concept. Well, nailing here, uh, the Romans is, reminds us that the Romans nailed the charges of offenders to the cross, upon which they were crucified. You know, and the Lord Jesus Christ had above his, uh, I, uh, the word, the king of the Jews. People saw that and knew that he was accused of being a traitor and going against Caesar. Well, this emphasized the power and authority and standards of the Roman government, nailing it to his cross as a metaphor by which uh, Paul demonstrates Christ satisfied the indictment of the law against us, he died in our place, right? God set it aside, and when he died on the cross in our place, and Paul sees a superscription metaphorically uh, in, in place of the words of the King of Jews, uh, he sees the law that condemned us. When Christ was crucified, God nailed the law to his cross. Peak, another scholar. So the summary here Paul demonstrates that our forgiveness is made possible due to his sufficiency his ability his capability and our and that has created our completeness in Christ God made us alive in Christ he forgave us he nullified the the claims of the law against us he blotted it out nailing it to his cross I always love that Phrase, nailed it to his cross. That's a, that's a powerful statement. Um, so there are three ways, um, and I went over this in detail. I'm not going to do that this time. McLaren, who was a great scholar from the 19th century, um, three ways the cross of Christ is the end of the law. Okay? And Romans 10 4 says that. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. That's Romans 10:4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And I'm going to look at Galatians 3:24 in just a minute. Okay. So Christ, three ways that Christ is the end of the law for believers. Don't forget that. Four believers reflecting his Christ's sufficiency. Now the things that are underlined is what McLaren said. The end of the law's power of punishment. Christ paid the penalty and price for sin for those of us who believe. He bore our punishment. He suffered in our place. Secondly, the end of the ceremonial law. The law pictured uh, and portrayed foreshadow and, uh, and the various aspects of the law, the tabernacle. Every aspect of the tabernacle, even the colors, had something to do with portraying some aspect of Christ and redemption. So it foreshadowed Christ. The weakness of the law is it couldn't save. Christ fulfilled the law. He fulfilled every aspect of the ceremonial law. And then the end, right in the middle of page three, if you're looking for where we're at, under note, three ways the cross of Christ is the end of the law. The end of the law is moral rule. Now, morality did not end. God's righteous standard was embodied in the New Testament in even a higher standard some call, some call it the law of love, some call it the law of Christ, uh, but the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ and what Paul commanded us to do as Christians. So the standard is now Christ. It's a higher standard than the law. If you remember, Paul said, if you think it in your heart, it's the same as having done it. Now that's scary because I get so mad sometimes at people, I think, you know, and hate wells up and I'm guilty I'm guilty and the the, our thought life is now accountable it wasn't under the law but it is under Christ so it's even a higher standard even higher standard so God's moral law as in the reflected in the Ten Commandments those are now embodied in the new covenant along with the law of Christ that even holds us accountable for our thoughts and attitudes the law then those that part of the Ten Commandments that reflects moral uh, God's righteousness is still essential. The law reveals our sin and our guilt and our need for a Savior. Let's look at uh, Galatians 3 24-26 uh, Hold your place back on Colossians 2 so we can go back there. Paul writes to the Galatians. Now remember, Galatians couldn't let go of the law. They had the wrong... <laughs> they, they overemphasized works and underemphasized faith. Um, Paul wrote them and said, verse 24 of chapter 3, "...wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith." But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And Romans 3.20 tells us, by the law is knowledge of sin. Okay, so here's the kind of the key to the issue of understanding how the morality of um, what we need, the law points, points out that we're sinful. And how does that reconcile with the end of the law? And the end of the law is moral rule. And I have a quote here from um, MacArthur, and I want to share that with you that I think really helps. Uh, the law was our tutor, which uh, in, the, in, the, in those days, very often they would have a slave that was a tutor um, or another person that was a tutor to the young children. And, and uh, that's what Paul is referring to in that, that in, as a metaphor. He was saying the law was our tutor by showing us our sins was escorting us to Christ. It pointed out we needed, it couldn't save us, pointed out that we needed something to help us be right with God because we could not the law said this is all wrong you're a sinner so the law was our tutor by showing us our sins and was escorting us to Christ believers through faith in Christ have come of age as God's children thus they are not under the tutelage of the law Romans 6:14 says for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law, but under grace, Romans six fourteen. So he says, therefore, they're not under the tutelage of the law, although they're still obligated to obey God's holy and unchanging righteous standards, and, and, which are now given authority, Ten Commandments and his righteous standards are now given authority in the new covenant, an even higher standard. So that's Galatians 6. So we see that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to point us to Christ, escorted us, as MacArthur said. But we're not under the law, we're under grace now in the New Covenant. But those standards still apply even to a higher degree because they reflect God's righteousness. Okay, so now we want So the law is still essential. It reveals our sin and our guilt and our need for a savior. And the law is not, the law is not sufficient to save. Christ is sufficient to save us. The law shows us we need to be saved and Christ saves us. So now moving over to victory over the forces of evil. Verse 15. This is the third thing That Christ has done for us that demonstrates his sufficiency. If you remember, there were three things listed on page one at the bottom of the page that, and spiritual circumcision, forgiveness of sins, and victory over the forces of evil. And that's where we are in the the outline. Christ has done, um, this is the third thing that Christ has done for us that demonstrates his sufficiency and our completeness or fullness in him and having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it which is verse 15 and this is one of those peak verses uh, in, in scripture that is very reflective of the victory that we have in Christ in Christ we are victorious because he has conquered all the evil powers and opposition to him so, I came up with three alliterated things that he has done here in, verses, in verse 15. He uh, disgraced, he disarmed for, first, he disgraced and he defeated the evil powers that were opposed to him. So, I want to share with you a, um, another quote from MacArthur, MacArthur had a series of sermons on this, and that's why I've been using him so much, because he just had some great things to say. Now, I read this before, but I'm going to read the abbreviated section of it. I just, it's, some of you weren't here, and for those that were, you'll have to live with it. (laughs) just kidding I I think it's just really powerful every time I read this I'm just so excited because it it tells us what God this is what I've been endeavoring to share with you in some way and help you see Um, verse 14 says he cancelled this is MacArthur he cancelled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross he says, you know, when they nailed a criminal to the cross, they would put the crime on the cross. On the top of the cross, they would put the crime so everybody would know why he was executed. And when they nailed Jesus on the cross, he, Paul says they they wrote your sins up there and then canceled it because the penalty was paid. Satan had no more Satan has no more power over you either. Verse 15, because Christ disarmed, that's our first D, the rulers and authorities, meaning the demonic powers triumphing over them. So this is the part I really love. Listen to all the things that Christ did for us. You come to Christ, you receive, you receive the forgiveness of sins. You come to Christ, you receive a new nature a new disposition, a new heart that loves righteousness. You come to Christ and you die to the past and you rise to new life. You come to Christ and you're delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. You come to Christ and you literally come to the truth that transcends, the truth you'll never find anywhere except In the Word of God, and even this truth you'll never understand till the Spirit of God takes up residence and becomes your teacher, and then you know the deep things of God. It's all in Christ, all truth, all wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding, all peace, all joy, all value, all fulfillment, all satisfaction, all purpose, all deliverance, all strength all comfort, and all eternal hope is in Christ. To have Him is to have everything. Not to have Him is to have nothing. The Bible calls these the unsearchable riches of Christ. And indeed, they are. Every time I read that, it it affects me. So, Praise the Lord for what he has done for us and uh, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Um, so now uh, they're under the section disarmed and having spoiled. It means to strip off clothes or arms. Now this is a different word from verse 8 where it talks about spoil. That word means to kidnap and to take away uh, in, in violence. This word means to uh, strip off clothes or arms. And we did a, you be the theologian last, last class, and we decided number two was the right view. Uh, this means that evil powers are the object of being, uh, uh, stripping off their arms and, uh, and armor, uh, and Christ disarmed the evil powers of their weapons and armors and has conquered enemies, and they were put to public shame, um, Erdmann and Vaughn have that view, among many others. He disarmed the principalities and powers. Coney Bear. Uh, this view portrays Christ as the victor in great triumph over those defeated. This is a peak verse. This is a verse of great victory and celebration. Note principalities and powers. These are the evil and enemy angels and all the hostile spiritual powers that are in rebellion against God. Um, The rulers of darkness, Ephesians 6.12 tells us. uh, That's the passage of the armor of God. Right before put on the armor of God, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, Stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, in the evil day, having done all, to withstand. We wrestle against the evil powers that are out there. They're not we're beginning to see more and more of them these days as, as they get more bold, uh, but they're out there. And he disarmed these evil powers, these principalities and powers. Uh, Mule, M-O-U-L-E, he called them the dreadful hierarchy of evil, and that includes Satan. Okay, disgraced. He not only disarmed them, but he disgraced them. He made a show of them openly. Uh, verse 15b. It means he made a public spectacle of them. I'm at the disgraced at the bottom of page three and reading from the handout. Um, So the imagery here is of a public display, an exhibition of a disarmed captive and their arms. Now, you know, sometimes when the police, they capture a big, uh, like a a gun racket, you know illegal gun sales, or something they line up all these weapons on a table and they take a picture of these weapons as a display. This is what we did. this is our crowning achievement. look at this, this is what we did, and they they're also uh humiliating these guys and sometimes they 'll show pictures of them, you know terrible pictures or well, they take those mug shots you don't know, you know and and they they they, they but the and these are disarmed. The imagery here is a public display, an exhibition of a disarmed captive and their arms who is now conquered, subject to the will of a greater power. The, Col- the Colossians were familiar with the practice of the Roman general leading a celebratory victory processional like a parade in Rome with the defeated army, enemy following an open public display. Now disgraced because they lost. Here, Christ is the victor leading the disgraced principalities and powers. The evil powers' true sinful character, the evil powers' falseness, their rebellion, and their defiance against God are on display. As a victor over all these forces of evil, Christ has made a show of them openly or a display of all these forces of evil. He has disarmed them and has publicly made a spectacle of them showing their disgrace. And I have a quote that I lost the attribution for, and I looked it up and I could not find it. and I, I even Googled the paragraph and I couldn't find it. This quote goes, Christ by his cross releases his people not only from the guilt of sin, but from its dominion or power to rule over them. Not only has he canceled our indebtedness, but he has subjugated those powers whose possession of the condemning indictment have kept us in their grip. The very instrument of disgrace and death by which the hostile forces thought they had him in their grasp. They crucified him. They said, aha, we've got him. We've killed him. But they thought they had conquered him. But that forever was turned by him into the instrument of their defeat and captivity and that was the cross. Uh, So he's disarmed them and disgraced them and turned to the top of page four. He defeated them, triumphing over them in it. Um, Verse 15c. What do you think it is here? Triumphing over the evil powers in it. What is the it? It's in the middle of the next paragraph, top of page four. Starts with the C. Starts with the CR. Cross, thank you. Okay. The cross. Christ is the defiance of all evil powers is defeated. Christ is triumphant. The imagery continues of the victorious Christ who has defeated the evil power. All are now defeated, disarmed, and disgraced. In it. The instrument of victory is the cross. They thought they had him. But he rose again the third day. That was the the victorious means by which he saved us. His opponents saw it as a mean to his death and defeat. Instead, the cross was a means to his victory and triumph. And here's a quote. But Paul represents the cross as Christ's chariot of victory. The meaning is that it was by his death that Christ conquered his enemies and stripped them of their power, exposed them to public disgrace, and led them in his own triumphant uh, procession, Vaughn, Dr. Vaughn. Triumphant means to lead in triumph for joy and exultation over victory. And Erd, Charles Erdman says, the death of Christ was not only a pardon, it also manifested power. <laughs> and not only canceled the debt, it was a glorious triumph. By this cross, Christ's cross, the mighty victor defeated Satan and all his hosts. He despoiled them. He stripped them of their armor. He put them into open shame. He led them captive in triumph. Why then... Fear the spiritual powers of the angelic beings. He's kind of shifting into what Paul is trying to say there. Why then did the Colossians fear the spiritual powers or angelic beings before whom the false teachers bowed in worship? Why submit to Jewish rites and ceremonies? Christ alone is the Savior. You don't need philosophy. You don't need legalism. You don't need asceticism. You don't need angel work worship. You don't need mysticism. You don't need anything else. Christ alone is the Savior. He is supreme. In him is life. He meets our every need. The law can't save us. Christ saves us. Okay, so the warning gets legalism. And I think the time is such that I'm going to stop there. And the reason I am stopping, because it's a good place to stop. <laughs> and Um, it gives us more time to fellowship and also next week I am going to de-emphasize the uh, review and I'm going to talk about verse 16 uh, that we read let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holiday or new moon or the Sabbath days Uh, the question there is law or liberty and then verse 17 which are a shadow of things to come. Those things are mentioned in verse 16, but the body or substance is of Christ. So verse 17 is going to be shadow or substance. So the question there, and I've got, I'll have a handout and we're going to look a little bit at um, law, liberty, or license three L's. And we'll, we're going to define those and we're going to look at where we should be, which is Liberty. So um, this is a good place to stop. Questions?